Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, the host and founder of Seeking Excellence. Great to have you today. Hope you're having a great day and uh, just excited for this episode with my boy, Bob Doherty, my godson. Uh, we, we just recorded this talking about how to respond to a crisis. We've all experienced this recently with COVID-19, a host of other issues that came up from that, uh, the pandemic and just the difficulties that people face financially, relationally, spiritually during this time. And so Bob wrote a great article about this as well that we posted on the blog uh, today too. And so I, I 10 out of 10 recommend you go over and check that out and uh, check out my last book, podcast with Bob too about friendship. If you enjoy the one today, that one was really good as well with my boy, Bob. Stay tuned for more. Make sure you subscribe, leave us a review. We always, always, always appreciate it. God bless. You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom, to go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ, to be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You are not made to make excuses, time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. Bob Doherty, how are you, my guy? Nathan, long time no chat. I'm great. How are you? It's always been too long. I'm, I'm good, man, <laughs> but I'm better now. You know? Here. <laughs> yeah, truly living the good life, man. I'm blessed. I've been listening to a lot of Dave Ramsey lately. Uh, this month, our, our book of the month is, is Dave Ramsey book. And so I've been watching a lot of his videos and stuff lately. I love every time somebody asks him, um, Dave, how are you? Whatever. He always says better than I deserve. And I'm like, man, that like, that really hits. You know, like that. I might steal that. Yeah, better than I deserve. Much better. So, yeah, very truly. grateful for that. Very grateful Amen. for that. But Amen for that. It's a blessing to have you back on the podcast, man. I know uh, we wanted to get into this the last time we recorded, and we just kind of quasi skipped it, if you will. <laughs> we uh, we definitely went off on a tangent last time, uh, but I hopefully hopefully it was a good one for your listeners, and I'm excited to, to get into get into this one as well. Yeah, no, it seems like it was. It definitely it was a successful podcast for us. So really enjoyed it. Just talking about friendship and, and encourage people to go back and check that one out, especially if you enjoy this, because it was really good. And I feel I feel like it was really spirit led because we just kind of went on this tangent that was very relevant and very needed. And <laughs> it was just completely unscripted and not what we had planned to talk about. So it is uh, great to come back to the topic we had originally drawn out, though. And this is here, based here. on a topic that uh, Bob's written about. And so We'll probably, we haven't discussed this, I'm just telling you this now, but we hope to publish either what you wrote there or, you know, something similar to it on the blog this week that we released this, but Christian leadership in a crisis, how to look like Christ in a crisis, how to look like Jesus 
in the midst of chaos. And so this is going to be, um, yeah, really kind of leadership focused. But as I've often said, as Father Meyer and I like to always say, everybody is a leader. Every Christian is a leader because you're always charged with leading people to Christ. And so I think as Christians in today's world, right, we talk a lot about the things that are happening in the world, the division, the confusion, the ambiguity coming from politicians, coming from the Vatican sometimes, coming from local church leaders, coming from everybody and everywhere all around us. It's critical that we as Christians are formed in how we can lead and set the example for other people during these times. And so I, I talked about that and stressed it a lot last summer during the BLM riots and all the things that were happening, uh, Antifa riots. And when I talked about how should a Christian be responding during this time, it's like, we're supposed to be the ones that are ready for this, right? And so I'm excited to talk about this with you, Bob, because I think I often share that I think the infantry officer in me is a little bit better when things start going crazy to stay calm and, and kind of assess the situation and make a decision. And so I think you'll have a lot of insights as an even better infantry officer than me on how we can <laughs> respond to a crisis. So first, you want to lead off with what is a crisis? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to do it. And, you know, in, in, my, in my definition, I think of a crisis as an unexpected and quickly developing event that's characterized by risk and uncertainty. I'll say that again, a crisis as an unexpected and quickly developing event that's characterized by risk and uncertainty. So first and foremost, the thing that I think is important to understand about that is that it's unexpected. You know, people talk about like, oh, how do I prepare for a crisis? Um, the, first, the first thing that we need to understand is that like, by definition, crises are something that we don't expect. You know, maybe, maybe they, they might look like something that we can expect, but like the specific details of any specific crisis it's, it can be difficult to prepare for them because by, by their definition, they're unexpected. Um, quickly developing, I think that's important as well. Usually these things, uh, it's not something that like happens over the course of um, 20 years, right? Like it might not be five seconds, but, but generally speaking, it's something that you have to make decisions quickly uh, in order to react effectively. And the last but not least, there's risk and uncertainty. There has to be like some stakes in it, right? Something, there, there has to be sort of some level of stakes to it. Um, something can go poorly or well. Uh, and, then, and then last but not least, that uncertainty. It's, it's usually something, as I said before, that it's a scenario you haven't expected before. Uh, and there's some level of, you know, in the, in the military, right? We talk about fog of war, um, that, that lack of knowledge about what's occurring. Um, some, some level of like, you can't observe exactly what's occurring. So you're making a decision without full information. Yeah, when there's risk involved, that's scary to do, right? <laughs> to make that's scary. right. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and so I think that's that's such a yeah. All those critical points in that definition are so good to kind of hit on, and um, it's amazing to me. You know, I think about this a lot when it comes to finances and like the financial pillar of excellence, right? And I know it's a topic that you and I both love and and like to dive into and. I, you love it even more than I do, but I enjoy, you know, learning about it, reading about it. And one like basic thing you understand about investing in finances and human beings is that people hate risk, right? Like it's kind of like such a good example and analogy yeah. for life where we love the reward, but hate the risk. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> I mean, the, that's, that's exactly right. And, and definitely, um, you know, there's no risk, no reward, right? No, no guts, no glory. Um, and, and the wisest, the most effective people, whether they're in crises or in life, are the ones who can, can manage risk, right? Who can effectively mitigate it, um, but still get results. Because ultimately, like, 
the the reality is i mean we live in a risky world like right. you can't it's it's not risk is not something that you can just like avoid entirely um you know whether that's like personal risk to yourself or your finances or your family whatever it is like people you know um obviously like there's tremendous tragedy, you know, there's, there's a lot of just crazy things that happen out there, you know, um, where people suddenly like they have a, a family, you know, a family member or a friend just like kind of by chance taken away from them. Um, but anyway, the, the point is, is that like risk is out there. Um, and, and it's not so much like, how do we avoid it? It's how do we live with it? How do we mitigate it and still get where we're trying to go? Right. The amazing thing too, I think with it is that human beings, especially in, in America, I think we're very prone to, you know, wanting to mitigate risk financially, wanting to mitigate risk in relationships or even physically. You know, I think of all the people who look at me with my torn Achilles and it'll be like, there's almost like this assumed sense of regret that they think I have for like playing basketball that night or, you know, going snowboarding or doing whatever. It's like, I would have done it all over again because sure. all that stuff is fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I was fit, I, I, you know, I enjoyed doing those things. Like, uh, yeah, you risk getting hurt. That's part of the game, right? But the only other option is like be a bubble boy in your parents' basement for your whole life, right? And like never go out there. With, that's uh, not what know, it means to live. Right? You know, that's that's not risk. what it means to live at all. Exactly. The interesting thing to me in that is that the thing that we do know for certain that we can always control is our relationship with God and eternal judgment, right? And so we have that available to us. We know that if we know love and serve God in this life so that we can live with him forever in the next, obey his commandments, you know, believe, study the word of God, um, accept church teaching, right? Live by the teachings of Christ, that heaven is pretty much, you know, it, it, it's been offered to us by the Lord. And so I think it's really interesting how much we, we put so much time and energy and focus on all these risk mitigations, you know, in our earthly life, and then just utterly neglect what's very much within our control and the greatest Dude. risk of all, which is a risk of losing heaven. That's right. Exactly. I mean, I, I love where you're going with this. Like we spend so much time, right. Um, focused on these like really finite things. Right. And how do we like avoid risks and stuff like that? When in reality, like the infinite, you know, like life, like eternal life with God or, or not with God, uh, the other, the other side of that equation, unfortunately, right. The very real reality of hell, um, like, that's that's the risk we should all be thinking about first and foremost is like how do i how do i get the, how do i make sure i'm on the right side of that coin uh, and if, you know an example i'll give that's you know maybe more like relevant to your day-to-day -day life um i mean people will spend people will do all sorts of things to save money right you'll drive an hour across town to save like 30 bucks on a tv you know to, to go to walmart as opposed to something close to you but like people won't spend five minutes prepping for their like performance review when they're going to ask their boss for like a mm. compensation for, for a raise. Right. Um, so it's That's like, a great example. you know I've what I mean? That. Like, like you, I mean, we all have because it's uncomfortable and, and all that kind of stuff. Right. But it's right. like, we're so willing to That's like funny. focus on these tiny things that we think we can control um, rather than like actually focus on like, the big rocks that ultimately are going to yeah. make or break our success. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And you do, that just kind of makes me in an indirect way think of like the sunk cost fallacy and things like that, that really just like all these like lies and deceptions that we kind of like trick ourselves into believing, you know, of what's important and what's not important. And I think it's really, really interesting. Yeah. When you think about that, the performance reviews, that's such a great example, but um, 
yeah, so let's go back to talking about a crisis and, and risk and uncertainty. You know, I think this is a great time to talk about this as we come somewhat close to the end of the coronavirus pandemic lockdowns and all of these things, right? Yeah. Is like we so all some- kind of we always kind of experience this for a little bit, right? Of like having the risk, like you have to, you know, as I say, everybody's a leader, you have to lead yourself first. If you're leading a family, if you have children, if you have a classroom, if you are, you know, in the military, if you're in business world, like we're all leading in different ways. And this was a big time where people had to assess the risk to them and their family and make decisions on how they're going to live their life based on it. Right. So we have to do this all the time and it really sneaks up in big ways and small ways, but Go ahead. What were you gonna say? Yeah, no, just I, I think you nailed it. And, and I think sometimes people, when they hear the word crisis, they I'm, I'm glad you brought up COVID um, because they, they think of these huge events, right? They think of COVID, they think of 9/11, Pearl Harbor, you know, like the Great Depression, the housing, like the financial crisis, right? These like big world events, and that's real. Don't like, of course, those things are crises. Um, but we, I think a lot of times people also forget that they're just like really localized individual things that happen, right? Yep. In our families, in our relationships, in our jobs, in our finances, um, that the, the kind of tools and techniques that you use to respond to some of these big things um, are also really applicable in your own individual life and kind of how you might work through challenges with your spouse or with your, you know, with your significant other, um, or work through like some, some, um, you know, some unexpected event that happened with your, uh, at work, right. Or your finances. So, uh, again, it's, it's, I think crisis can really can sound like a big, can sound like a big scary word, but I really do think these, these, um, principles apply on, on both a really big scale and a small scale as well. Yeah, no, I love that. I think that's so true. It's super real. And so how, how do you, how do you view like, what is kind of, do you have like a step-by-step or what's kind of your perspective on how you respond to a crisis? Yeah, no, definitely. And, and first of all, before I jump into that, like just to, just to give um, two thoughts real quick. One, um, I mean, again, some, some common examples, right. That people might face that, that I think there's, there's value here. Um, obviously like challenges in your relationship. Um, I mean, like for the, for the financial pillar, um, for example, like most Americans, uh, excuse me, like 40% of Americans don't have enough cash on hand to afford a thousand dollars unexpected expense, you know, um, they'd have to like, yeah, like they'd have to borrow, you know, they'd have to, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, that's not like, and and to think about that number with the number of Americans living below the poverty line is like even scarier, right? Cause it's not like 50% of Americans live below the poverty line and 40% don't have a thousand dollars safe. Like, no, (laughs) I mean, like those numbers are very, very different. Like this stuff is really, yeah, exactly. This stuff is real. And I mean, that's, we could talk about that for days um, about about some of the financial difficulties, but uh, you know, spiritually, like if you face, if you're facing a desert period in your life, right. Where you just, you're not feeling very connected to God or, physical. I mean, you just tore your Achilles not that long ago. Like that's to me, that that's something that you can think through this. Um, Again, I I think this really hits all the, all the pillars of excellence at the end of the day. Um, And then the the, the second thing, the second thing that that I just, you hit on uh, and that's again, being leading through crisis, both in your uh, leading through crises and leading in your personal lives. uh, I think sometimes people make the mistake of like, and a, a constant, you know, in sports, how there's jerseys and, you know, captains get to wear the letter on their jersey, right? Yeah. With like hockey, hockey and, and football, the like they yep. got, got the big C, right? Uh, and, and one of the things like my coach used to always say is like, 
leading without the letter, right? That, that whether you're a captain or not, we're all called to lead. Um, and I think that absolutely applies in, in, in the spiritual life, you know, whether you're like an ordained priest or you're just, you know, whether you have your holy orders or you're just, yeah. you're just part of the laity. Um, and, and your personal life, of course, you know, um, we're all called to lead each other in different ways. So um, anyway, just, I, I wanted to get those thoughts, those thoughts out because you gave me a bunch of good stuff. Um, anything that jumps to your mind before I dive into kind of my, the way that I think about responding to a crisis? Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that. And I think it kind of goes back to the fundamentals of how we're supposed to live out um, our faith as priest, prophet, and king, like Jesus was, you know? And it is, it is so important. I think we can't overstate how important it is for people to transition from this. Only the priests lead, you know, only the priests have to be an example to the faith. Only the priests have to believe all the stuff in the, that the church teaches. Like that, that is so beyond behind us, right? Like that was such a common belief for so long that now we are really starting to see this resurgence of, or not even a resurgence because the first time really where um, father, father Meyer talks about this on here a lot of, just how much the lady have really started to do and kind of pick up the slack in the church. Because one of the big things that happened in, you know, 2001 and, and since then when the sex abuse crisis really started to break out in the U S is we lost a lot of faith in our priests, bishops, cardinals, and even up to the Vatican, you know? And so yeah. with that, I think, and, and I just had Damon Owens on recently talking about kind of the beginning of like the Catholic speaker market and things like that. Yeah. I loved it. That one was really great. Um, but just hearing that and just understanding like the, we had to eventually kind of see the holes, see a need, fill a need, right? Like we were seeing that things were slacking and there was lady who stepped up and say, well, let's take it into our own hands to a certain extent. Now still having the utmost respect and appreciation for the priesthood, right? Like that's, we're not de denying that, but I, I always, you know, you've heard me say this before, this analogy of, you know, we're the military, right? The church militant here on earth and priests are like the officers and we're like the enlisted but for the longest time it was like the officers did everything and the enlisted did nothing in the church and it's like that's that's you can't win a war that way right and we're losing we're getting our butts kicked and a lot of the sex abuse crisis was allowed to happen because nobody ever doubted or questioned or challenged their priests nobody ever thought their priests could do any wrong we didn't view them as human which was bad for them and bad for us and bad for our children and then we also felt like it was only their responsibility to preach the gospel, only their responsibility to take care of the church, to expand the church and to be Christ on earth. And that's just not the case. I, I mean, I, I love so much what you said there. And I think it's extremely instructive for people because that's the reality, right? Like we're, we have this tendency to say like, oh, that's not my job. That's not my responsibility. Um, when in reality, like, of course, we all have primary duties in life. Right. We all have, you know, if you're, for example, like you think about the sacraments, um, like you're either doing holy orders or you're getting married. Right. Like uh, and, and that's not, a, you know, everybody that's not comprehensive, of course, but like it's it's mutually exclusive. So you always have like you might have a primary calling that that um, God wants you to serve him in, in that way. Um, but that does not mean that, like, you have no responsibilities outside of that. Uh, and definitely like it is, um, it's incumbent on us um, as, as friends, as, um, you know, as colleagues, as um, members of the church to hold each other to high standards. Again, we talked about this last, last time you and I talked about, about what it means to be a good friend, um, but it's, it's, it's holding each other accountable. It's, it's caring enough about one another to um, want the best for them and be willing to speak up and say something. And similar to what I shared in that David Owens podcast, when it comes to friendship and just like your fellow church members, is it's me taking care of myself so that I can be the best friend for you that you 
need, right? Like, so I'm praying every day and stuff so that when I show up to talk to you and you're seeking my perspective on something, I can give you a, a better ver- a better version of me, but also a better perspective, right? Like a more godly perspective. So I can be a holy man and can give you that. So I can be, you can't be a virtuous friend if you don't have virtue, right? Like that's not a complex thing. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty simple reasoning there. And so I think it's so critical to understand that, like, why do we go to daily mass? Like, yes, it's for you. Yes, you're working out your own salvation uh, the way St. Paul calls us to in scripture, but we're also doing it for other people. We're also doing it to set an example. We're also doing it so that we have the grace. So we can pr- take the body of Christ in ourselves out into the world, right? Out into the world for the sake of the world and for the sake of the, the people who are fighting next to us. And it reminds me, you know, of why I pray the Ranger Creed sometimes of uh, the third stanza, you know, I will shoulder more than my share of the task um, is one of the best lines in there, I think. Whatever Don't forget, it may be, whatever it may be, and then some. 100%. 100% and then some. And that's the mentality that we have to take. And, and the, the unfortunate thing is what it means to be Catholic to so many Americans is in the midst of crises, in the midst of struggle, whatever, we, we just abandon ship or we just duck and hide and, and act like we're not Catholic for a while. Or we just say like, oh, those crazy Catholics are out doing something else. We're Catholic when it's convenient, but we don't want to be it when it's tough, right? And we don't want to be the ones who have to lead through it, the ones who have to make tough decisions, the ones who have to guide because we're so afraid of the world. And we just, we have to stop that. It simply has to cease. But um, I think, you know, something else is so important, Bob, to kind of guide it back to the crises is, is so many times, you know, what we talk about in Seeking Excellence, right? My whole philosophy of the spiritual pillar is the begin, the end, and everything in between. But what typically knocks people off is these other six pillars. And I would say that it's usually a crisis in one of these other six pillars, right? A crisis of relationship, a crisis of finances, physical crisis, mental health crisis that knocks people away. So how do you think people can, obviously, like you said earlier, you can't prepare for it because it's unexpected. You can't fully prepare for it because it's unexpected. You can't plan for it but you can kind of prepare for it, right? Like so that you're better exactly. capable of handling it. So how do you think you can do that? Maybe give some examples of the different areas. And it's, it's, and when I say like, it's, it's unexpected, that doesn't mean you shouldn't prepare, you know, um, because there's absolutely things that you should be doing um, right now to, to be ready for that. And I'll go back to the finances example quickly. Like um, I don't know what that unexpected expense is going to be, but I know it's going to come. You know, I don't know what the thousand dollars expense is going to be, but I know it's going to come at some point. Maybe in a killing surgery. Maybe in a killing surgery. (laughs) Damn. Um, So, so um, there's definitely things that you can do in the um, before and during. So, so maybe I'll start with kind of during uh, crisis. Like once you make that, once you make that identification of like, oh crap, like this is, this is, this is a crisis. Um, I think the first. This is news bears. Um, the first thing I'd say to, to take a, you know, to, to take borrow a term from the military is to take a tactical pause. Um, so, you know, this is something that I, I really encourage anybody to do, um, which is really that, like, again, as I said, when a crisis occurs, it means something unexpected has occurred, something in your, in your assumptions or your original plans hasn't gone according to plan. Something's, something's off. It's your job as a leader, right, or just as anybody to figure out what that is, you know, what was wrong about your assumptions or about your plan that that got you here. So really you need to just kind of give yourself some space. And, and this can be as short as a couple seconds. It could be as long as, you know, a few weeks even um, to really just assess, consider the situation and gather some additional information. And, and actually, honestly, there is some like physical stuff, like you should take a breath, right? Slow your breathing. If you're, if you're like getting too excited, all that kind of stuff, 
because uh, the reality is is that yes, crises are are fast are uh, characterized by by speed, but they also develop a lot slower than they first appear, right? Like to use the to use COVID for an example, um, obviously like reacting fast was important, but we're we're 13 months into this at this point, right? Like if you remember back to the first, back to the, when we first went to quarantines, it was like, oh, we're going to do this for two weeks, right? Or like a week. <laughs> two weeks to slow the you know? spread, baby. Two weeks to slow the spread, you know? So you definitely need to react quickly, but the reality is that a lot of this stuff tends to develop slower than you, than you first think. Right. The second thing um, is, is really, um, again, assess the situation and then anticipate what's going to happen next. So assess and anticipate. When a crisis occurs, everything seems like a top priority. Everybody wants answers, right? Everybody wants to know what's happening next. Um, you know, I'll give the example of, uh, you know, I, I kind of ran a crisis response center um, in, in Kabul, Afghanistan, and you're very familiar with, with uh, that part of the world. I've but <laughs> when, when we would have like a crisis, right? Uh, IED goes off in the city or, you know, um, active shooter scenario, whatever it is, like your, your phones are just ringing off the hook. Right, because people want information, but the reality is, is that ninety-five percent of them like don't matter at the end of the day. They're not going to help you solve the situation. <laughs> they're not. They're not. They're not going to give you any resources. They, they don't actually need to take any action themselves either. They're just like interested in what's happening. Yeah, some like, people hey, just nosy, dog. Even in yeah, war, exactly. That's that's the reality. <laughs> not just so, in your neighborhood barbershop or at your local middle school. <laughs> people are nosy even in war. So much, there's so, and you say, you say, uh, there's so much noise out there, right? Mm -hmm. So it's your job to cut through the noise, right? Figure out what needs to happen right now, what can wait until later, right? And what are those things that are probably coming down the pipe that you need to be ready to react to? Yeah. With that, um, the, the next thing that I would say is, is you have to, you still have to make the best decisions you can with the information that you have. There's a, there's a balancing act here where, um, you know, some people make the mistake of waiting too long, right? Trying to gather too much information and uh, they end up acting too late, right? Other people make the, the opposite uh, mistake, which is they just fly right off the handle, rush send an it. email, like they rush it, right? We, they, are, they, they, we they, are those two people. It's, <laughs> I won't, we don't have to tell your listeners who's who. <laughs> they probably know at this point, but we are literally those two people. That's really funny. That's right. It is. I, I never. I actually didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely right. Um, but you have to balance both of those things, right? Where That's how we make and, a great team. I'll, I'll credit my. I'll credit my cousin for this. Like one of the uh, a practical way that you can implement this is he kind of calls like the thirty seventy rule, um, where if you're making a decision with less than thirty percent of the information, you're probably making it too soon. Um, but if you wait to gather more than seventy percent of the information you're probably waiting too long and you're probably missing an opportunity um, to act. So I think he credited Colin Powell originally, but I love that. Uh, yeah. And uh, there's, you know, I'll also say there's, there's a good quote about like uh, a good plan violently executed is better than a perfect plan a week too late. Right. So again, you have to make the best decisions you can with the information you have. So you're going to have a natural desire to gather more information, of course, but you have to just, you, 
at some point you have to act um, because because that's just gotta send it. You just got to send it. Um, and then the last two, and, and then I'd love to get your thoughts on these. For, uh, number four, communicate precisely. Um, again, back to the uncertainty point, like the desire for information and, and knowledge leads people to speculate all the time, right? Um, in a crisis, they're going to speculate, they're going to make assumptions, um, but you have to fight that urge, right? And be very precise in your language saying, hey, this is what I know, this is what I think, um, this is what we don't know still. Um, and you have to assume, particularly as a leader, that anything you say is gonna be uh, claimed as gospel, right? So before you kind of make any official proclamations, just make sure that, that it's really what you wanna say and that it's, it's communicated precisely. And then last but not least, you have to iterate quickly, which is, that, that idea of um, you're gonna make a decision, it might be the right decision, it might be the wrong one. Um, but the reality is, is that you need to be able to react to that decision and continue to go through that cycle because there's no better feedback than reality um, and, and take that feedback from reality and use it to guide the next decision you make and ultimately the next crisis you face after that. Boom, I love it. That's so good. I, I love the, the practical steps there as you take and yeah, I mean, there's obviously a ton of thoughts that come through that. And there's so many ways I think are clear when you hear those different steps of ways we can better prepare for handling those situations, right? And so, uh, you know, like an example of that is the, you know, the second to last one there about communicating precisely, like communication is something that you learn a lot in leadership in the military of like, how do you talk on the radio? How are you supposed to present yourself during briefs? How do you talk to your commanders? How do you talk to your people, your, your soldiers, right? Like there's so much stuff that we learn about how to communicate to one another, uh, you know, hand signals. Like you just think about it, like it's almost like starting from scratch, right? You're literally learning almost a new language when you're out there. And I think people typically don't spend that much time really thinking about that. And I love considering good communicators, right? Like I'll never forget reading The Great Gatsby for the first time and reading F. Scott Fitzgerald, fellow Princeton grad, um, is writing and just being like this guy's sentences are incredible right like just I love written communication then I listen to powerful speakers and I'm like wow listen to how well they communicate yeah. their message right what they're trying to say and so I think it's something that's so important to prepare for each one of these steps right just thinking about how can you really start to get ready for that and see like in small ways how can I stop you know sacrificing the good for striving while striving for the perfect the unattainable perfect in little ways in my life right like how can I communicate effectively good starting now, communicate effectively well, um, communicate well, starting now, right? In like these little moments or when you have little setbacks in your life or when you have little difficulties that you face and these different things that happen that are bound to happen, right? That are inevitable. And so, um, yeah, I think it's just so important to prepare for it. But I think another thing that I really love um, that I would add to it as well, I mean, you definitely touched on it some, but I think one of my main things I haven't thought it out nearly as, as thoroughly as you have, which is very common to what we're talking about in our, you know, personal differences, <laughs> but I think you could say that probably about most things, you know, I think things out less thoroughly than you most of the time, but one of my main things too, is like trying to fix the source, right? Like I feel like too, Absolutely. too seldom in the midst of like crises and these difficulties and these challenging times, do we really strive to fix the source, right? Like you can literally think back to the chaos of when, Trump banned travel from China, right? And like everybody thought that it was insane and racist. And it's just like, dude, no, that's just like where we think it's coming from, right? And like, right or wrong, if that is, if we have good intelligence that says that's the source, we should shut that down, right? Like, and this isn't to get it political at any means, but 
just thinking of that example of saying like, okay, this, we have this problem happening. Like, what is the source of this issue, right? Like, what is the, if you're talking about financial problems, right? Like, what is it that's really causing my financial stress? Is it my student loans? Is it my bad spending habits? Is it my credit cards? You know, there's so many different things that could be causing that problem in your relationship, right? Like, what is the root cause of the miscommunication between me and my wife or my fiance or my girlfriend, right? Between my friendships, like getting to the root cause and then trying to address that. Too often, we just try to put band-aids on the effects, right? On the symptoms of things, instead of being like good doctors or good spiritual leaders or good relationship, you know, uh, either advisors or just people in relationships to say, hey, let me find out what's actually causing this and then try to solve that. And, and you know what, and I, you have to be, sometimes you have to be bold about that too. You know, I mean, to like Matthew five, right? If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better that you lose, you know, one of your, one of your members, than your whole body could cast into hell. Right. And yeah. I, I might've, that might not be perfect. Right. But like, you get, you get my close. point. The, it's pretty, I think it's good. Um, the, <laughs> I'll take it. Um, a, it's still an A, uh, the, uh, but, but right. Like sometimes you need that bold correction and you need to be willing yeah. to, um, again, I love what you're saying about like, find the source. Don't just, don't just solve the symptoms, right. Find the problem itself and be willing to cut that cancer out of your life or your relationships or whatever it is. Um, I mean, back to, you know, again, you mentioned finances, like, um, a lot of people are, you know, maybe not where they want to be financially, you know, they're, they're not accumulating the wealth that they want or whatever it is. Um, they don't have the house they want or the car they want, whatever. Uh, have those people ever like, do they budget? Like, have you, have you ever like looked at your expenses? Do you know where your money is currently being spent? Right. Um, because like, it doesn't take long. You could spend 30 minutes once a month and look at your expenses and suddenly realize, wow, so I'm spending $2,000 a month. Um, going out to eat, you know? Right. Um, and, and like, even, and, and even that just simple awareness, it, it doesn't take just a like lot. A, yeah. Five to, minute spiritual examine at the end of your day to say, when was I my best? When yeah. was I my worst this day? Asking God for forgiveness exactly. it can change your life. It can, it's but important. the consistency is the important part of that. Right. Is it's, it's, it's not just doing it. It's, I mean, doing it once is great. Don't get me wrong. Um, doing a, doing a budget or doing a, you know, like a family financial review once one, you know, one month out of the year is, is great, but it's that consistency. It's discipline that, cause as you actually start to see the trends then, right. It's not just like a snapshot. You actually see trends. Um, this is one of the reasons why, like, I love to, um, I love to take notes before I go into the confessional. Uh, and I keep that, you know, like I keep that book because it lets me see over time, like, wow, it seems like I'm confessing the same sins for the last 12 months now. Um, let's, let's make some, let's make a bold correction at this point because I, because, because clearly I need it. Of course. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, it's huge, man. And you just made me think of something else of, you know, of talking about this, right? These little habits in your finances, in your spiritual life, same with your health, right? Uh, making diet decisions or regularly exercising and getting your vitamin D and all these different things, right? is we so often, I talk about this a lot with mental health. We had a great podcast with Lisa Gormley, the Catholic therapist about mental health. And one of the things that drives me insane about our current just mental health industry and, and craze in the United States of America is I think it's really good, the positive light and attention that we're bringing to it. The downside is that we're always talking about treating the symptoms. 
The other thing I think when it comes to a crisis is when one happens, let's talk about how we can prevent it from happening again in the future, right? So we just had this huge crisis, like how can we prevent it from happening again in the future? Or just kind of brainstorming now, not talking about overthinking and thinking about every possible negative situation that can ever happen in your life. But some of these big things of like, okay, even when you just see something happen to somebody else, right? Like, so you and I are friends. I say, dang, Bob, I just spent X amount of dollars on an Achilles tear surgery. That really sucked. This wouldn't be you. But if it was you that said, I don't even have $500 saved. What if I had to spend X amount of dollars on an Achilles surgery? I work out, you know, then you should say, how can I prevent that from ruining my life? You know, and obviously it didn't ruin my life either because you and I are somewhat mature human beings, right? And have made decent incomes and have been smart with what we've made. But for people who see crises happen in other people's lives, or you see these situations instead, you know, and, and out of some types, sometimes it's empathy, sometimes it's compassion, sometimes it's just like stupidity and naivete that allows us sometimes to look at the crisis that happened in other people's lives and be like, they are an utter victim to their circumstances, right? Like they had no control over what just happened to them. Does that happen sometimes? Yes. But even, you know, just reading stats about Katrina. Um, recently, and how many people decided to not leave, and not that they couldn't financially leave, but like literally decided to not leave, like decided to not stay. Buses that were there available that people decided to not take, like these types of circumstances. It's it's a tough balance of obviously having love and compassion and praying for the dead and praying for people who are befallen by bad circumstances financially or health issues, but we also have to recognize and say, wow, so much of life's troubles are preventable. They're not yeah. all preventable. But people who just live in this constant cycle of chaos and stress and drama, it's not, I mean, you should have learned this in high school, right? That drama is avoidable in a large sense, right? Not all of it, but a lot of it. Like you should have learned this a long time ago. And I think the downside to not preventing it and then just talking about how do we respond to it and why I think this is important to touch on is people start to normalize it and they normalize things like abusive relationships or emotionally manipulated relationships or financial struggles. And it's like, this is the United States of America in 2021. You don't have to normalize that. You know, like I you should you should respond to it and deal with it, but you also stop and think, okay, how can I keep this from happening again? An ounce, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? Oh, preach it. Um, you got the one-liners absolutely. today. Hey, I, you know, I here and there, right? Here and there. Um, the one-liners. I did <laughs> no, but, 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 but genuinely, right? And um, it's, it's always like, it's kind of funny for um, the political scene at times because uh, unfortunately we don't really care when people prepare effectively. We care about leaders who like respond effectively uh, because, it's, because that's what like, that's what people, um, I mean, again, COVID, right? Like the, the stockpiles for uh, kind of pa- pandemic uh, relief were, were not what they should be, whatever the reason, you know? Um, Texas, like the huge electrical issues that they just had not that long ago, like that was definitely preventable. Um, But again, the the reality is, is that like we've, um, we've chosen for whatever reason that like, hey, we'd rather spend, you know, 10x the amount of money in in response than than put like a little bit up forward in prevention, because maybe that's what wins votes, you know, who knows. But um, so I think that's important, but but I would encourage in your personal lives, do not uh, do not replicate that of our leaders, um, right. and and uh, focus on prevention. Um, and I think with that, like the the thing to also um, to consider is that like you're not just talking about um, 
when, when you're being a steward, right? Um, when you're, when you're being a leader, like pe people, talk, you, you have to think about not just like you in this moment, right? But you a year from now, you five years from now, you for eternity, right? So yeah. I think a lot of times we make these, we, we tend to have a really finite mindset of just like, well, like I should just do whatever's best for me right now, you know? And oh, it's, yeah. it can be, it be kind, of, kind of like hedonism, right? Of just like, well, I, sh I, sh I should just do whatever makes me feel good right now. Um, yep. But but you, obviously we know that um, not only is there eternal life that you need to be thinking about and like preparing your soul for that and making sure that you actually get there, um, but on, on the right side of the right side of the equation, um, but also just like the rest of your life, right? The decisions you make today in your financial life, in your health, um, like every, like the decision you make to work out today is not just an investment in you today. It's an investment yes. in you 60 years from now, right? Exactly. It's an investment to be able to like pick up a grandkid, right? Yep. To be able to like all, all this stuff. So again, think of yourself as somebody who you have to, it's not just about the day, right? You're trying to steward yourself um, for the next, for the rest of your physical life here on earth and then your soul for eternity. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just gave a little, very, very basic financial kind of personal finance class to one of my RAs this past weekend. And it was like exactly that, you know, it's just like, man, like if you only like what people don't understand is what every $1, every hundred dollars you spend on nonsense now, like now today could be worth 40 years from now. Right. And if you right. thought about it like that, it's something that you're not going to have for that long or a stupid experience you're going to regret having the next day, like going out and spending $120 at the bar, right? On a random Saturday with your dumb friends that don't even like you, right? Like when you think about doing stuff like that and you're just like, wow, that $100 could be worth how many thousands later on? It's And dude, don't it's get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Like there, there's, uh, this is, again, there's a balancing act here mm -hmm. of like, you still like, want to enjoy your life and of course like you know we don't want to just like hoard such that like we become right. 80 years old and we're just sitting there with like no friends and no family and like yep. just tons of money right like there's there's a balance to all of this but but i think having a clear understanding of that that like you're uh think, think of yourself as like there's there's future bob out there right and there's yeah. there's present bob <laughs> you, you and i used to always used to laugh about this that. right yeah, like like oh Oh, future Bob. Bob. That's, a, that's, that's a future Bob problem, right? Like yep. past Bob did not do present Bob many favors and present Bob is not doing future Bob many favors either. Um, <laughs> that's right. So, so just make sure that you're like balancing those effectively. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny. Like you think about, uh, I, I, I've said this before. I can't remember what podcast, but talked about how, like, I like to, I've heard from Matt, Matthew McConaughey says that his hero is always him 10 years from now. Right. And I like to think about my, my whole inspiration always was like, I'd like to think of myself of me every five years, for like for the rest for like my whole life being in a room together. And I'm like, thinking about this today with what you're talking about, I'm like, who would be the most upset with who and who would be the proudest of who, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you don't want to be Yeah, looking back at 27 year old me and being like, man, that was so dumb. Why did I do this stuff? Or why didn't I just plan a little bit, you know, and we have, Love this, that we have this, yeah, we have this mistake nowadays and something that i've really been thinking about a lot lately with seeking excellence is everything i try to tell people about is like going back to college of what what i try to share with people is the things that older people say i wish i knew then what i know now this is what they're talking about right like this is what i try to share with people all those things that the older people that are in their 60s 70s 80s that are divorced twice and financial struggles and far from the lord like 
I just want us to know the things now so we can live beautiful, joyful lives, even if they're challenging, filled with adversity and difficult, right? And so I think that's so important for people to recognize that that's what it's all about. And there's absolutely a balance. And you and I go out and we have fun and we enjoy ourselves and we, you know, do fun things together, but we're also not doing it at the risk of just like screwing our future selves over. Of course. And we're good enough friends that if you came to me and you flew out to Denver and you said, and, and I said, hey man, like, we're just really tight right now. We're trying to save for a house. Like, do you mind if we just have a pretty low key weekend? You'd be like, sure. You know, like we don't have to go out and act like we're <laughs> something that we're not. Right. Yeah. And so exactly. there's a, there's a balance there as well, you know, and just making sure you have people in your life who support future you and actually want to see the best for future you. Cause I've had friends in my life like you who have chastised me and like given me a hard time with grace and love when I fall in with chastity. And then I've had friends who, when I was doing well with chastity would say, my goal is to get you to fall. You know, and you want to have friends who are looking out for future you and for your future yeah. spouse and for your future families by helping to make you the best man, woman, husband, wife, father, mother, future father, mother, all of that that you can possibly be since you can be a saint. Amen. That's that's I mean, I, I think the unfortunately, I like a lot of people who are giving you some of that poor advice. Right. They're not they're not really looking out for for present or future you, no, you know, they're, they're looking out. Uh, it, it can be a very selfish perspective uh, and just, you know, kind of, Hey, um, it, it's honestly kind of like using, using their friends as a tool, you know, to yeah. help them, you know, deal with whatever they're dealing with or um, have a, have a better time themselves. Like it's unfortunately not, not the best thing in the world. So that's why you have to um, really, again, I think guard the friends that you guard the really good friends that you have and, and really invest in those relationships because, you know, they're going to, they're going to be worth 10 X uh, in terms of getting you to your eventual goals and like the kind of person that you want to be. Um, so. Right. Absolutely. And then lastly, let's just talk a little bit about what, what are your, what are your thoughts on how this should be different for us as Christians? I know I have a lot of thoughts on this. As yeah. Well. The, first and foremost, I think the biggest thing for me is, um, crises, I think, have a tremendous amount of fear and uncertainty associated with them, right? Like you think back to, to the beginning of COVID, um, how much like fear and uncertainty there was and gosh, like, what, like what's this going to look like? Um, and I think one of the things that, we, I mean, it's a huge benefit that, that Catholics and Christians have is that we, we know how this game ends one way or the other, right? Like we know that God is sovereign. Yes. And that like all of this, it may not be his perfect will, right? But like whatever's happening, whatever, whatever, like, got, you know, awfulness is occurring in the world, um, yeah. that he's still sovereign. He's still in command. Uh, it's very much like Philippians 4, right? Don't, don't be anxious about anything, but, but in, in everything by prayer and supplication, thanksgiving, you know, let your requests be made known to God. So just don't be like, we have the huge benefit of like when we see... Uh, when everyone else is running around with their heads cut off like chickens um, and they have so much fear and uncertainty, like we have the benefit of knowing, Hey, whatever this is, it's going to pass. This too shall pass. And I trust that like God's will is going to be done in this. Absolutely. Keeping that the big picture in mind, you know what I mean? And just, exactly. yeah, just knowing that even when we're down, we're up as Christians, right? Like we, we talk often about how even when the church is persecuted, it's even that's good for the church because then the church spreads even more, right? And so, right. like, there is no losing when you're, you know, are in the body of Christ. And so, that's the number one thing to remember and to keep in mind during all of this. And even just like, you know, when you think about financially or these health things, right? Relationship stuff, 
is when you're operating in the big picture of something, right? So like, especially when you get more serious in your relationship to use that for an example, like, you know, you and Sarah now, and me and Emily are on our way to, to being married. But now if we have like little tips or whatever, like you're like, well, we're going to figure this out, right? Especially in a Christian marriage, because you're like, we're not That's getting right. divorced. So it's like, we're going to figure this out. And that really does take a ton of stress off the debate or the conversation, right? Like you're, you're, if you have any virtue and you have the understanding of like Christian marriage and you're in the context of relationship with God, you know, three to get married, shout out to Fulton Sheen. Um, then you have this understanding of like, well, we're going to figure it out. And so we don't have to like rush it and argue about it right now. We don't have to like get super upset about it. Like we'll figure it out. I know that you love me. You know that I love you. And like, we want to be together. We're going to choose each other today, tomorrow, and always. And so we're going to figure it out. It's so liberating. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's, it, like, I think you said it perfectly. It takes so much stress off when you just say, yeah, uh, I think like you're annoying me right now, or I, we disagree on this, but like, you know, we're, we're going to figure this out one way or the other, you know, yeah. um, we're going to compromise. We're going to, we're going to find a solution. Um, so it, it, it's very like, it's, it's really reaffirming uh, in that sense. You know, the other thing, um, the other thing I'd say quickly, just, uh, yeah. and I want to hear your thought. Um, the, another thing that I think is unique about Christians and kind of responding to crises. Um, you know, I thought about this, I thought about this verse a ton during Ranger school, um, which was First uh, Corinthians 10. And, and he talks about God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Oh, preach it. Yo, you're still but on when my you, today. When you are tempted, you will mind. also provide a way out so that you can yes. bear it. And it's like, like when I, I remember when I read that for the first time, like ever since, it's just, it's so, yeah. so much guided me. Anytime that I've been like doubtful of myself, my ability to, to respond or, or face adversity or deal with something, I'm just like, God wouldn't be putting this in front of me if he didn't think I could deal with, if he didn't know that I could deal with it. Like yep. he's going to like, as long as I rely on him and, and trust in him and like rely on his strength, not my own, I'm getting through this. Like, because he's, he would never, he's never going to put something in front of you that you can't handle. Right. Absolutely. Man. I've been thinking about that so much recently that it just popped into my head literally right before you said it, because I, you know, I'm reading uh, a church in Christ. I was telling you about this before we started by Ralph Martin. Love that book. 10 out, 12 out of 10 recommend to everybody. But one of the things he talks about, he's very challenging, you know, and just like our call to live like true Christian lives. And it's one of the things, you know, like when you, it's so easy to let ourselves be so flexible with sin and, and this different things. And it's like, when you think about that in that context of like struggling with sin consistently, it's like, obviously we're still going to fall, right? Like nobody's ever going to be perfect on earth, but what, going back to what you said earlier about when we're confessing the same sin after the same sin after the same sin, it's like, you know, I'm just, it's, just, it's so easy to be like, God, if you just give me the grace to deal with this. Right. And it's just same thing with like the crisis and the situations, God, if you just gave me a way out. And it's like, a lot of times he is, a lot of times you have the grace. You're just not cooperating with it. You're not, it's not working with it. Like, a lot of times it exists. You're just like holding on to these other things that are actually, again, the source and the cause of these issues, right? And so chastity yeah. is a great example of that, of like when you follow chastity with yourself or with your significant other, just stop and say, at what point did we go from like just chilling to <laughs> falling, right? Like <laughs> there was a stumble, like what did we trip on? You know what I mean? Like, was it when we laid down to cuddle? Like, should we not do that? Was it when we turned the light off? You know, is it, is it too mm -hmm. late? Yeah, you know, or you're with, you're with yourself. It's like, what what was the point where I really started thinking these thoughts? Was I scrolling on Instagram? Was I doing this? Was that, you know what I mean? Nothing, start, nothing good happens after 11 p.m. Right, amen. amen. Right, and so you start to think about this stuff, and yeah, I mean, Emily and I have always had a curfew on alone time, right? 
yeah. uh, since I moved here. And so it, it's, I yeah. mean, it works wonders, right? <laughs> and it's crazy how many yeah. times we've gotten ourselves in the sketchy situations. It's been after that time, right? Uh, like percentage wise, I mean, yeah, it, it's unbelievable. And so I think it's so important for us to understand that, to think about the big picture, to understand that God's given you the grace to deal with it and to work through it, even if it feels like you don't have it, right? A lot of times we're just playing ourselves or the devil convinces us that we don't. The devil tries to convince us that God has abandoned us. And so long as we're staying with him, we're pursuing him, we're pursuing heaven, we can stay, like God's not going to leave us. The only people that ever leave in that right. relationship is us, right? We can fall away from God. We can reject God. We can reject him through sin and cut ourselves off and separate ourselves from him and say God to God, the father, to Jesus and the Holy spirit. I don't want to have a relationship with you. And we say that through our actions, our words and our thoughts, right. And our inactions as well. Um, and the actions that we condone and praise of other people and that we accept and embrace and celebrate of other people. There's a lot of ways to contribute to sin, but I think that's all important to know that God is going to stick with you and he's going to stay with you and understand another thing that he said to St. Paul, uh, my power is made perfect in weakness, you know? And so when you're weak, when you're down, when you're low, that God is with you in that. And it's a great time to pray when you get hit by something crazy to ask the Lord, Lord, what should I do here? What should I be thinking about? What am I not seeing? Because God's ways are so far above our ways. His ways of thinking are so far above our ways. And um, we just have to keep that in mind, I think. Yeah, dude, two, two things. And I love all that, but, but two things to, to chime in on there. Like one, um, Norman Schwarzkopf said, like the truth of the matter is that you always know the right thing to do. The hard part's doing it, right? Um, and I think, I think that happens a lot in our, in our own lives. Um, we just don't always want to face that. Um, the second thing, and, and I love what you were getting at, because like the, the concept of like near occasions of sin, right, is so important, I think, to understand and how that affects, how that leads to sin, right? Yeah. Um, that like these brushes with sin and these, these um, the kind of the, the slow accumulation, right? Like for, I think for a lot of people, like it tends to be the straw that broke the camel's back when it comes to sin, right? It's a, it's a huge accumulation. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, just like C.S. Lewis, I think said this so perfectly in the screw tape letters, um, which if you have not read you, I mean, obviously I know you've read, but like for your listeners, times, yeah. <laughs> for your it. listeners, couldn't, could not encourage it more. It's, it's, it's a series of like letters written from the perspective of a, of, of a tempter, you know, one of like the devil's, uh, one of the devil's, you know, uh, demons and, and yep. from their perspective of like trying to basically tempt this human into uh, falling into sin. Um, but anyway, like the, the quote specifically is um, that he's, he's advising, you know, the, the, the tempter's uncle is advising him, hey, don't worry about the big sins, right? Like, don't, uh, you know, it, a yeah. lot of like, a lot of people, you know, they want to be showy, they want to be flashy and get their, get their, um, get their marks to like commit these huge sins. Yeah. When in reality, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The one yeah. with gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without mileposts and without signposts, which I'd always just think is so fire to think about like yep. the gentle accumulation of sin and near occasions of sin that ultimately Man. lead you ultimately lead you to like making the big mistakes. Yep. And the other, other, other way is true as well. When you consistently make small good decisions and choose to spend a few moments with God and to go to one more daily mass a week and to go to confession a few more times a year, right? Like end up compounding and making huge differences in your lives. And so awesome stuff, man. Well, I could go into a whole other podcast there just what you shared at the end with screw tape letters, but um, I just want to thank you, man, for spending time with me today. As always, appreciate you and what you share and uh, look forward to doing the other ones that we have planned for down the road. 
Can't wait, man. It's been a blast. Thanks as always. Absolutely. God bless. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Hope you subscribe to the Seeking Excellence podcast and uh, just check out the other episode that I did with Bob and just um, let us know what you think. Leave us a review and, and shoot us a message if this one impacted you in a big way. God bless.